0: Well, good morning. morning. All right. We are going to jump right into it. We are going to uh, continue uh, our series through Ephesians. And uh, just a quick review. Uh, Ephesians is a letter. And sometimes we forget that. You know, we say, have you read your Bible? And and if we're not careful, we forget that the uh, context is really, really important. And so uh, what we've been really doing these last several months is going through a letter. And I would encourage you, uh, as you maybe uh, have your quiet time, or your Bible reading time, uh, sometimes it's helpful, actually, to read an entire uh, book or an entire letter in one sitting. Uh, it kind of reframes it sometimes, because sometimes we get used to maybe picking out a, uh, you know, they call it, a, there's a term called pericope. A pericope maybe is is like a paragraph, you know, it's a section of scripture. And so sometimes what we tend to do if you have a Bible reading plan is you read a verse or a few verses or maybe one chapter. Uh, I want to encourage you, uh, sometimes it's really good to have a season of just reading an entire letter in one sitting. It contextualizes verses. You may see a verse differently, and you go, oh man, you know, I've I've read this verse for 10 years, but I never read what was before and after it. And so sometimes it's really important to remember the context. And so Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to believers in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding regions, okay? Uh, There's six chapters in Ephesians, the first three really what we uh, celebrated a lot of doctrinal truth. Uh, There's a a great verse that really sums up Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and it's uh, found in verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the first three chapters really was a celebration of what we already possess As believers in Christ, it says you've, you know, you received every spiritual blessing. It's like the spiritual lottery. It's already there for you, right? And then 4, 5, and 6 transitions into, okay, now that you know you've received every spiritual blessing in Christ, what are you supposed to do? What do you do with that, right? And uh, verses 1 and 2 in in Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you, okay, he's talking to believers, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So basically he says, hey, you know what? Chapters 1, 2, and 3, all these incredible doctrinal truths. Now 4, 5, and 6, I want you to live a life where they're balanced. Where your walk matches your talk, where your beliefs match your behavior, right? Where your creed matches your conduct. That's really a a, a great uh, way to see Ephesians as a letter divided into two parts, okay? And so in Ephesians 5, we're going to continue the practical parts of how to walk in a manner worthy. And in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, it says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in, in verse one, it says, therefore, be imitators of God. That word imitators is actually where we get the word mimic or mime. Mime, okay? How many of you, you're going to date yourself here. How many of you remember the famous uh, French mime, Marcel? Marcel, anyone? Anyone? Right? Right? That, that whole thing, right? You know, that whole thing, right? So when he says, uh, be an imitator of God, it's really talking about divine imitation. In fact, the, the verb, the way it says, where he says, uh, be imitators of God, there's a verb tense, it's called the present imperative. What it means is this. He says, hey, you know what? Your way of life, we are commanded, should be one of divine imitation. You ever think about that? Do you ever think of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to have a life of divine imitation? Right? And, right, if you've ever played charades or if you ever tried to mime something, what's the key element in miming? Acting, what's the key element you don't do when you mime? Talk. Talk. So we are commanded to live a life of divine imitation, which means our life, our actions, our conduct should reflect the nature, the character of God without words. Without words, right? If you've ever played charades, right? And you have that competition, you're trying to figure out one word, you know, sounds like and you know, all this kind of stuff and you do. When was the last time you woke up and said, Lord, today, I want my life, my conduct, just if someone were to watch me, I want them to see the character and the nature of God. I want to live a life of divine imitation today. I want to be a, a, a godly mime. Think about that for just a moment, right? Some examples in Luke six thirty six it says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful, right? Reflecting the character of God. First Peter 1, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Right again. We're to to really be reflecting the character and the nature of God. Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? What does that mean? Well, in the uh, Life Application New Testament commentary about this verse, it says, the word translated perfect can also be translated mature or full grown. Jesus followers can be perfect if their behavior is appropriate for the maturity level. "'perfect, yet with much room to grow. "'The perfection Jesus required of his followers "'did not include strict and flawless obedience "'to minute laws. "'It called instead for an understanding "'of how the law pointed to the heavenly Father "'who is himself perfect. "'Those who loved God and desired to follow him "'would keep his law as he required. "'They did this, not because they were already perfect,' but because they were striving to be perfect, to reflect their father's character. So it, it's very important because the word perfect, again, mature or full grown. Sometimes I think in the church, we equate spiritual maturity with knowledge acquisition. We assume someone is mature because they've memorized X number of verses. Or we assume someone is mature because they go to Bible study. Or they've read the Bible, you know, X number of times. According to this verse and what we just read, maturity is really tied into how much you reflect God's character. You want to know if someone is spiritually mature? How much of Father's character are they reflecting in their life? How much divine imitation is revealed daily. That's your real marker of spiritual maturity. That's why somebody to become a new believer and in a rather short time become spiritually mature in a sense, because they take scripture, they're living in faith and obedience and they're reflecting God's character and nature in the best way they know how versus somebody who's been in the church for decades, knows a lot But hasn't really been transformed. Hasn't really been transformed. Kind of not a lot of life change, you know, and still in sanctification. But spiritual maturity, as far as reflecting the nature of God, someone, believer 10 months, could be more mature than someone who's been a believer for 10 years. If you look at it in terms of, well... How much of your life is reflecting the character and the nature of God, right? So just think about this, this past week. Just take a moment. This past week, last seven days, whether you went to work, at home, with your friends, whatever setting you were in this last seven days, how did you do in divine imitation? Without words, what did your life mimic or mime about the character of god in the last seven days would someone at work or in your social circle have said you know what i've been watching you so and so you're really a godly person think about that the last seven days how have you done in divine imitation right and what's really important, though, we have to keep reading the whole verse, because uh, the second half of verse one says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And this is real important. Mark, thanks for kind of introducing this at the beginning. It says, as beloved children. You can't forget that. Sometimes, again, we, when we read scripture, we tend to focus on a phrase or just one verse. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, this is really important. Because if you just focus on being an imitator of God, if you're not careful, you know what? You become a robot. And you become about rules and regulations, and you become about do's and don'ts. You can even become legalistic, because well, it says to become an imitator of God, and therefore I have a checklist, and do do, do do, do, don't 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 don't." And you become just like this, and you're very robotic, because in your mind, that's what it means to imitate God, right? We just bunch of do's. It's all about the external. Mm -mm. That's why you have to read this whole verse. It says, as beloved children, here's the thing. Our desire, our ability to imitate God comes from being a child of God. Rather than imitating God is not about rules. It's really about relationship. Imitating God is not religion. It's not being very religious and pious. Imitating God is all about a new covenant relationship, right? So Mark, you said earlier, you know, it, it, beloved children. Some, some it says, right, I talked about how much God loves us. Well, in the big sense, we know from John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there's this God's love, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. So you have this incredible love from God to the entire world where he invites us all to what? Respond to his love in faith. And then the key is, and to help us understand the rest of this verse, when you respond to God's love, when you respond in faith to Jesus as Savior and Lord, What happens? You become a child of God. That's what he says. Imitate God as beloved children. What we should really say, because remember, this is a letter to believers. He should really say, imitate your father as beloved children. Imitate your father as beloved children. Now, if you're a parent here. How many of you as parents, good and bad, have seen things in your kids where they imitate you, good or bad? How many of you as an adult have caught yourself saying or acting like your parent and you said, oh my gosh, I am my father, right? Oh, oh my gosh, that's something I said. I would never never say that. And now when you're like, oh, I'm just like my dad, right? Or I'm just like my mom, right? So we pick up things. Why? Because of the family relationship. Parent-child. That's what's going on here. Don't miss that. Otherwise, you turn it into rules and regulations and religiosity. Ephesians 5.1 is about a family resemblance, right? That's why the title is a chip off the old block. What it's saying is, you know what? As a beloved child of God, be like your dad. Be like Abba. Because he loves you dearly, right? John 1:12, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 1 John 3, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Right? Amen? Child, we're children of God. We're children of God, and really what they're saying in this verse is, just be like your father. Just be like your father. Right? Now, here's the thing. There's a supernatural element to this that we have to understand because when you put your faith in Jesus, according to John 1, 12, positionally, you're placed in the family of God. We've seen verses where you're adopted as a son, right? Okay. So positionally, woo-hoo, right? Is that a woohoo moment? Woohoo. Child of God, name written in the book of life. Here's the other supernatural part. Second Peter, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So here's the thing. You put your faith in Jesus. Positionally you're adopted. You become a child of God, but it's not just about position. about power right in john 3 jesus talks about you must be born again so here's the crazy supernatural part of this when you put your faith in jesus placed positionally into the family of god beloved child of god but then you're born again there's a big term called regeneration right what does it mean to be regenerated it means you're given a new nature it means you are now the temple of who Okay, you got to say that with a little more enthusiasm. You're now the temple of who? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwells. Okay. See, this is where we, get a, we just like get so cliche and numb to this stuff. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, not only do you become a child of God positionally, but you are empowered 24 365, by the Holy Spirit. Like, that's crazy. That's like crazy. So, I mean, if you think about this, okay, I've shared this before. Think about this. If you're a believer and you're in a room full of, say, non-believers, you are different than them. You have, we believe, according to the Bible, you have the third person of the Trinity indwelling you at that very moment. Like, is that crazy or what? Like, crazy. So, so we're, we're positionally children of God. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then this born again part, we're given a new nature that wants to obey God. Okay? How many of you want to go to church? How many of you want to read your Bible? Not all the time, but maybe. How many of you want to pray? Okay. How many of you at one point in your life didn't want any of that? What's the change? What changed? You were born again. You were born again. You were spiritually dead. The Bible says you were made alive. You didn't have the Holy Spirit. You had the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. Right? And so we can't forget that. And then it says in 1 John 3, 9, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. That doesn't mean you don't sin once in a while. What that verse means is you have been given a new nature. And if you have been born again, you don't want to sin as a lifestyle you don't it, it, it bothers you it grieves you because it's grieving the holy spirit you feel the conviction you want to honor god you want to glorify god when you sin you're like oh how many of you before you recognize you were walking in sin and you didn't care it's all about you you didn't yeah, right in fact if someone called you a sinner what did you want you want to, what are you talking about dude really we were so blind and numb to it. And it says here in 1 John 3, 9, when you are born again, you don't want to sin as a lifestyle. Now, we may sin and we confess it and repent, but as a lifestyle, he says, you know what? You are a, a beloved child of God. Be like your dad. Just be like your dad, Right? And so, as we move on, before we move on to to verse two, we got to pause. And we got to ask the question and give you an opportunity. If you're here or if you're watching online, here's the question Are you a child of God? Have you responded to God's love, his incredible love in sending Jesus? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So the question for us today is, have you been born again? And you're like, well, how, how do you get born again? Well, go to the Bible. 1 John 5 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So if you want to be born again, if you want to know if you're one of them born-againers, believe on Jesus as Christ the Messiah. Now, biblical faith, again, remember, I've shared this before. It's more than head knowledge. It's more than just agreeing to a bunch of facts and doctrine like, oh, I get that. Yeah, I get that. The Bible and James said even the demons believe that. Okay, the, the, the demons, they're pretty They're pretty good theologians. They know who Jesus is, right? If you read the Gospels, how many times does a demon say, I know you? And he was like, shh. Even the demons know who Jesus is. So what's the difference? They don't trust him. They're not exercising what we would call biblical or saving faith. And so what is biblical or saving faith? I've shared this with you before. It involves your mind, your heart, and your will. So, Here's an example once again, and you could do this if you're at home or online. Lift your feet off the ground. Now, you've already been exi- exhibiting faith in the chair, but I have you lift your chair because right now, if your feet are off the ground, you are fully exercising faith in that chair. Are you not? Right? That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Rest fully in his finished work. Amen? Rest fully in it. Just believe on Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lift your feet off the ground and say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah. I want to be born again, me my sins. I believe you were crucified. You died. You rose from the dead. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Kind of figuratively, you're lifting your feet off the ground and you're saying, I rest in you, Jesus. When you do that, Positionally, child of God, powerfully, born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's still crazy. That's still crazy, right? I still try to wrap my mind around that. And how else do we become like Father? This is why we tell you to spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. right? How do you, have you ever been at, at school and you see this group form, and after a while they all talk alike? and they all dress alike, and they all suddenly like the same things, right? How does that happen? Just by being together. So sometimes, again, we make quiet time, Bible reading, prayer, Bible study, church attendance. We make it kind of very doing-oriented. Really, all this is designed, guys, is to get you to spend time with Father. Just getting you to spend time with Father, right? Psalm 25, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. I love that. If you want to be an imitator of Father, just spend time with Father. Read his word. Pray. And then you know what? Be in fellowship with others. Be in fellowship with others. How many of you have been encouraged in your walk as a Christian by other Christians? Just being around them, being encouraged, being loved, being prayed for, right? We just kind of, that's why we're called to be in fellowship. We rub off on one another because we're all supposed to be in divine imitation. And if you're struggling in an area and you're hanging out with other believers, they can help you understand what divine imitation is in that area. And and a lot of times I was blessed when I was, uh, you know, my wife would, I'd share this before uh, I was a believer. She would bring me to a Bible study on Friday nights in San Diego, and I had no clue what it was to be a Christian. And so you know what I did? I sat, there was this room, and there was like 20 people at a time, and they had rows of folding chairs, a couch, and all that. you know what I would do? I would go, and I would sit in the very outside row, and I would just watch everybody. I would go, and I would just watch. And I, had no, I didn't know any of the songs and, you know, praying out loud, and I didn't even own a Bible at the time. I'm like but it was so intriguing because I would just watch these Christians and they would sing as if God was listening and they would sing like these love songs to God and I'm like, I didn't know you could sing that way to God. And then they would pray and talk to God like he was actually listening. And I would sit there and I'm like, this is kind of crazy. And then they would hug each other. I'm like, why are you hugging each other? That's like weird, right? Because Because I was, you know, I was a young guy at UCLA come down and I was like, not a hugger. And I'm like, these brothers are like, and they're like, hey, bro, I'm like, bro. Hey, sis. I'm like, sis, you know? And it was this genuine family koinonia thing. And I was just watching these believers be believers. And in that environment, once I put my faith in Jesus, being around them helped me to understand how to follow Jesus. It wasn't like some heavy-duty Bible studies. It was just being with them. And that's the joy of this, right? We're in this together. And so in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So really, one, one commentator I was reading, that word and should really could be said, that is. Right? So it says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That is walk in love. It's really a, a, a continuation of, well, how do I imitate Father? Walk in love. Walk in love is a way. And it says in the New Living, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. In the Bible, when you see the word walk, what does walk mean? It's your daily life. It really refers to your conduct. Okay, your walk and then love we've talked about this several times. What is love biblical love? He's talking about agape What is agape love self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the person being loved with nothing expected Okay, this is the kind of love demonstrated on the cross and this is when jesus says love one another It means I am to self-sacrificially love you for your benefit with nothing expected I'm to give up my time, my resources, my energy for your benefit, for your benefit, for your benefit. So turn to the person next to you and say, I love you, man. Go ahead, go ahead, right? I love you, man, right? What is that? That's agape love. We are to live a life of agape love, self sacrificial love for the benefit of the person being loved. Amen? That's the power of our testimony. That's the power. First John. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Amen? First Peter. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is the ultimate example. Right? 1 John three sixteen, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Right? You've heard me say before, agape love, it's a verb. It's an action word. So when Jesus commands us to love one another, it's not just saying I love you. It's demonstrating self-sacrificial love to one another. Okay, And so how do we do this? And I was, I was really thinking about this in terms of what's been going on in the country. And not really just the country, but really how what has been going on in the, in the country has bled into the church. And the division and the conflict, even within the church. Because of the circumstances in the country. And, and, you know, I think about the application of these two verses beginning with the church. Because that's who it's directed to. Remember, Paul was speaking to, writing to believers, right? Believers are to be imitators of Father. And believers are to love one another with agape love, right? And so I came across this verse, and I, I think it might be helpful for you, for all of us, for the church as a whole. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Another version is fervently. Since love covers a multitude of sins. When it says keep loving one another earnestly, there's a word picture. Word picture is a horse galloping, Right? spending all this energy. It's about a sprinter, running, maximum output, maximum effort, right? It's about hard work, diligence. It's not easy to love one another. Amen? Amen? Right? It is not easy. And what he says is keep loving one another earnestly, he says, yes, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take maximum effort. It is loving the unlovable. It is like loving those who irritate you. Well, you turn, turn to the next person? Just smile at the person next to you. Just give them a little, right? It's like, right? He says, love one another earnestly. I love that. Because love is difficult. Amen? And you know what? It's so difficult that it's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. First one is love. If we're going to love with agape love, first thing you got to do is admit in your flesh it's impossible. First thing you got to do is say, Lord, you call me to love and just smile. Turn to the person next to you and just smile at them real quick. You call me to love them with agape love. Father, in the flesh, there is no way I could do that. Amen. You got to just come clean and you got to say, I can't. This is a fruit of the spirit. You're going to have to supernaturally enable me to do this. You're going to have to supernaturally enable me to love someone earnestly and fervently. Right? And then it says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that that word covers means to cause something not to be known, not to harshly condemn or expose. Here's what that phrase doesn't mean. When it says love covers a multitude of sins, it doesn't mean condoning sin. It doesn't mean ignoring sin. It doesn't mean approving of sin. It doesn't mean you don't discipline or correct. What it means is that when all is said and done, I choose love. Self-sacrificial love for that person. Right? And I came across some, some quotes that I think will help us understand the heart behind that passage. Uh, It says this, The covering of sins then is the ability that believers have to forgive one another because Christ has forgiven them. Love works as a shock absorber, cushioning and smoothing out the bumps and irritations caused by fellow believers. Anyone ever have bumps or irritations caused by a fellow believer? Of course, not here. (laughs) Not here, right? Right, I love that. Love works as a shock absorber. How many need that shock absorber? Like, right? woo Boom! Right? John Piper says this. Peter is saying that bona fide, authentic love and fellowship is based, in part, on the covering of many sins. This is not sweeping things under the rug. It is not endorsing keeping skeletons in the closet. It's not renouncing church discipline. It's saying at least this, probably more. And when we've done all the confrontation, when we've done all the argumentation and exhortation, we cover it. Whatever side we are on, we cover it. We give it up. We bury it as a cause of murmuring. I think in the church today, specifically, we need to be covering some stuff. We just need to bury it, especially if it's of the world. doesn't mean we're not involved in what's going on in the world, but in the church... We need to choose to cover some things and love one another. We just need to love. Okay? William Barclay says this, It is not that love is blind, but it loves a person just as he or she is. If we really love our fellow men, we can accept their faults and bear with their foolishness and even endure their unkindness. Love indeed can cover a multitude of sins. Amen? So this morning, if you're struggling in this area, recognize it. Bring it before God and ask him to supernaturally enable you to love whoever it might be, their faults and all, disagreements and all, to love them with the love of Christ. Amen? Just love them. And what is love? Remember, it's self-sacrificial love for their benefit. I can, Mark and I can have a serious disagreement, and I can still love him because I'm loving him with expecting nothing back. I'm not loving him to get him to agree to my position. I'm not loving him for any other thing just because I love him. Here, 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 here. When I start putting conditions or I start wanting to kind of maneuver him to get to my place, then now I'm manipulating him. That's not true. Agape love. Agape love is self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the person being loved with nothing expected in return. Greatest example right there behind me. And sometimes when you're struggling with someone, you got to go there. Sometimes when you're so bent and you're like, how could they do this? And how could they say that? And I don't know if I could ever forgive them. Well, you better go to the foot of the cross. And remember how much God forgave you. And not just initially, but probably every day at some point. And get humbled. Just get humbled at the cross, right? John 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, key, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Don't, please don't gloss over that. When he says, as I have loved you, you should look right there. Whenever Jesus says in John 15 and John 13, love one another as I have loved you, if you're a believer, you go right to the cross. And you recognize how much he loved you. And let that put into perspective your issue with so-and-so. Okay? And then there's an important part of this in in 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that crazy? The way that the world will know that we are followers of Jesus is how we love one another. Not by a particular position or stance. Jesus himself says, you want the world to know that you're my follower? It's how you love one another, self-sacrificially. That will make the world stand up and take notice. That will make the world go, wow, maybe there is something supernatural to this following Jesus. And then you go, I know, crazy, right? Because it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit in me. Because if I had my way, I would want nothing to do with body coat. But by golly, I love him. Right? And that's the testimony when people ask, how are you guys so loving? Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. The only way we can explain it is the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the church a supernatural entity. That's what makes the world stand up and want to come through the doors, is a supernatural love of God. Right? And before we take communion and just kind of have this time of reflection, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, the Apostle Paul says something super like, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like a zinger. Look what he says. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that this morning? Whether here at the well or if you're listening or watching online, can you honestly say to... Hey, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. That's a heavy statement. Isn't that a pretty heavy... Like, Apostle Paul is like, hey, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. I mean, wow. I'm like, Lord, can, can I honestly... If people look at my life, would I want them to imitate me? <laughs> right? Would you want to literally say to someone, even your kids, hey, kids, imitate me as I imitate christ right and i thought of this and i thought of this i don't know if you could see this this is one of those kid projects that your kids give you and so this is a footprint and it says i'm following in your footsteps and it says heart which means love and underneath this frame thing it's from my youngest daughter Eile. she made this for me when she was in second or third grade I'm following in your footsteps. You have no idea. (laughs) This has been in my office for like 12 years. And that's weighty. That's weighty. For your youngest daughter to give that to dad? I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. What footsteps are she following in? You know, and, and... I purposely keep this in my office, on my desk. It's one of the first things I see when I walk through the door, because that's like, there's some accountability, right? There's some accountability to that. And then I think about this in relationship to us being followers of Jesus. And how many of us are just, how many of people around us at work, in our homes, in our communities, they're just watching you, and in many ways, hey, I'm... I'm following you, Mark. About I'm following you as you follow Jesus. Lynn, I'm following you as you follow Jesus. Betty, I'm following you as you follow Jesus. Show me how it's done. Right? Jordan, I'm following you, and I'm following your footsteps. It's not just a great responsibility, guys. It's an incredible privilege. We have the incredible privilege. Just by how we live our lives in divine supernatural imitation to point people to God. Just by how we live our lives, we can draw people to being followers of Jesus. Right? You don't have to be some, you know, person up here, talk, 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 talk. You don't have to know all this Bible doctrine. Just live, just be like Father, just love one another. Just walk in the spirit because by golly, there's someone who's following in your footsteps and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Sometimes you look right past them and they're in your house or they're your neighbors or they're your coworkers. Somebody somewhere is following in your footsteps. It is an incredible, incredible responsibility and it is an incredible, incredible privilege. Privilege. To represent the King of Kings. Right. Think about that. Somebody is watching how you mimic Father. And you have the privilege to draw them into the family of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege we have to point people to Jesus and your incredible love and becoming part of your family. You say in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, that we're to be imitators of Father as dearly loved children. We're to walk in love. And so, Father, maybe this morning, we need to spend a little bit of time in confession and confess ah, this last week we weren't, we weren't really doing really well in divine imitation. This last week, we kind of got in the flesh. and Oh, Father, forgive us because our words and our deeds were not glorifying to you and really didn't reflect your character this week. We ask your forgiveness, Father. And Father, we confess that you you command us to, to love one another. And man, oh man, Father, we need supernatural help in that area. Father, forgive us if we've been unloving and unforgiving. Forgive us if we have not loved with self-sacrificial love, the same kind of love that Jesus has for us. So we take this time, Father, just to to come to the cross. Once again, the ultimate example and demonstration of self-sacrificial love, God's love for me, God's love for you on the cross. So we're going to sing a song and during the song you can take communion as you're ready just take it on your own have a time of prayer you can open the cups and um, just use this as an opportunity to purpose in your heart that you're going to be an imitator of father and you want to walk in love following the example of jesus amen